Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. At one point, George Kent looked right at Jim Jordan, I think, and said, my job is to be a fact witness. Your constitutional responsibility is to decide what to do after hearing my testimony. Beautiful. And then he took a drink from his Nalgene bottle. And he probably raised one eyebrow just a little bit. Listen, we like George Kent. If you're not picking up on what we're laying down here, we both have a lot of affection for George Kent. This is Sarah. This is Beth. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics, the home of grace-filled political conversations. Hello, everyone. It's Friday. Look, we promised you five things on election reform today, and then we realized we cannot do a five things episode when impeachment hearings have taken place. So we will come back to election reform in the main segment on Tuesday's episode. But today we are going to discuss the impeachment hearings after doing a little bit of news from the rest of the world. And first we have a correction. You all emailed us immediately and were like, Sarah, Armistice Day is from World War One. And let me just tell you, when we were talking about it, my brain said, 
stop, lady, it's World War One. And I just kept going. I just ignored, you know, have you left that little blip in your brain that's like, halt, stop. I don't think that's right. Like every time I sign somebody's name and I'm like, I don't have their name right. But my brain told me it's World War One. It's not World War Two. Armistice Day, a.k.a. the historical beginning of Veterans Day, is the end of conflict in World War One. So just want to make that a very important correction. Let's start in Australia, where almost 60 bushfires have been just torturing the country. About 30 of those still haven't been contained. Four people have died. Hundreds of homes have been destroyed. Millions of dollars in damage. They believe that these were mostly from natural causes, but it's a horrific situation. And we know we have quite a few listeners in Australia and just want to say we're thinking about you. I saw them taking care of a burned dehydrated koala and it was heartbreaking. Just those words in one sentence is too much for me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We also have the effects of climate change in Venice. It is the second worst flooding on record with 85% of the city flooded, water reaching about six feet in some areas. At least one person has died, and they're very concerned, obviously, in Venice about the damage to historic landmarks like St. Mark's Basilica. Venice's mayor estimates the cost will be in the hundreds of millions of euros to repair the city. And he said that Venice is on its knees. And they were really desperate, I think, for global attention to how bad it is in Venice before. Have you ever been to Venice? I have not been to Venice. I have. It's it's a truly magical, wonderful, beautiful space. I spent a week there in college, and it, it's heartbreaking to look at the devastation and destruction. And I thought both of these stories were really important in an illustration of a really great article that was in the New York Times. It was an opinion piece called How Scientists Got Climate Change So Wrong and just about how they saw it as a distant prospect. People who were, you know, honest. It's not like they're these are climate change deniers. These are scientists who study the climate, but for a lot of reasons, sort of the the inherent logical weaknesses of human beings and scientists sort of desire to be very careful in their conclusions. Nobody anticipated the rapidity at which these massive impacts would arise, either sea levels or natural disasters. You know, we had a listener reach out and say, can you please talk about climate change more? And it's just, you know, I I responded and said, it's so inherent in everything we talk about. Like, it's a part of my thought process with immigration, obviously with natural disasters, with the economy, with all these things. But she's right. Like, we really need to make it more explicit. And we need to talk and think and focus more on the fact that these effects of climate change are are here. They are intense. They are affecting people's lives. They're affecting every aspect of the way we interact with each other, of our global economy, of our governments. And, you know, we ha- that ha- has to always be front of mind. Things are getting increasingly scary in Hong Kong. We have talked about this several times and just want to give you an update that right now the universities in Hong Kong have been shut down. That's the first time since the protests started that it's happened. And protesters are barricading inside those universities. There are reports that they're making bows and arrows, that Mm. they are gathering weapons, and that China has said to the protesters, you are on the edge of doom, which really concerns me because we know from history how China responds Mm -hmm. when protesters start to increase the level of violence. I was talking to a friend about this and how 
In my view, what the protesters are doing shows that the pen is mightier than the sword, that this the ability to shut down Hong Kong's economy, which is one of the most profitable cities in the world, is probably more powerful than if these protesters had a bunch of guns, because we know how China would respond if the protesters had a bunch of guns. And I'm concerned that the violence ramping up will end very, very tragically. We talked about China in great detail when talking about Tibet and the Uyghurs on Tuesday. And I think, you know, we we talked about all three of these regions of China together in one conversation. But the reality is, is that Hong Kong is very different. They can't just roll up with a police station every block in Hong Kong and treat them the same way that they treat other regions of China. They have more open access. They have tremendous economic impact. They're a highly educated populace, as, you know, seen here with the the emphasis on the universities and particularly the young generations of people in Hong Kong. And the, the desperation in the protesters' voice where they're basically like, we expect to die, but what else is our other option? Like, what else? We don't want to live under the oppression of the Chinese government. We don't want to sacrifice the freedoms that we have as, as we as we live in Hong Kong. And so they're just, they feel increasingly desperate. And because they do have a lot of power, because they're not Tibetan monks, because they're not in a, you know, far-flung region of China, they do they do have some power and they are and the Chinese government is also feeling desperate. And when you have two parties in desperate corners, it is concerning. Now, if it was any other moment in history, we could in theory look to the United States to play some sort of diplomatic role here. But because we have ceded all authority with regards to this, because we only see our interactions with China as transactional in nature, and we've already blown up that relationship with the trade negotiations, you know, I'm I'm not really sure who the people of Hong Kong can look to. Europe is too busy with Ukraine and Iran and Russia. And so... You know, I feel so sad that there isn't an international player that can look at these two desperate parties and help them find a way out. It could be that international business is the best way to accomplish that. But international business, as we've talked about before, is so dependent on Mm -hmm. the Chinese government in so many ways that it's scary. When I read these stories It just really touches my heart thinking about the complacency many Americans feel about our domestic politics. Mm -hmm. When you look at people in the streets saying, I am willing to die rather than live under an oppressive regime, and you think about the fact that we really get excited if we get near 50 percent turnout in an election, I, I wish there was a way to focus more of our attention on stories like this so that we cultivate a greater appreciation for our own democracy screwed up as it is sometimes, um, that it is ours and that we have a lot more power in it than we take every day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Remember last time when we talked about how, speaking of elections, the Democratic primary doesn't need any more candidates? You know who wasn't listening? Deval Patrick, who's joining the race. Former governor of Massachusetts, another moderate Democrat who sees a path forward um, after a weakened Joe Biden, 
Bloomberg was testing those waters. Seems like he is is not going to pursue that. As of now, there's already some sort of Me Too adjacent reporting about his behavior and language in the past, and I'm sure he's um, rightfully <laughs> regretting inviting the national press to dig into his past because he was considering a a national presidential run. We'll see. But, I mean, I, I don't know about Deval Patrick. I, I, I know just enough about him as the the governor of Massachusetts and that he's popular and that he is um definitely a a a prominent member of the sort of upper upper echelons of the Democratic Party. I think it's awful late in the game. Although, I mean, we're seeing with Mayor Pete making up some really big strides in Iowa this late in the game, polling at the top out of a couple of po- at one poll in particular in Iowa. So I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's just the right time and people are starting to pay attention. Buttigieg has been laying the groundwork for that surge for mm-hmm. a long time, though. I don't think that's a drop in the bucket for him. They've, they've been at this for a while. Deval Patrick was a U.S. assistant attorney general for the Civil Rights Division in the Clinton administration. So he has some very deep ties in the Democratic Party. He is currently at Bain Capital, which you'll probably remember because mm-hmm. Mitt Romney was there. And he has a lot of support within the Obama donor network. He wouldn't get in this race, I don't think, based on the little bit I know about him, if he did not see a path to at least a well-funded run at it right out of the gate. And so I think that tells you that people who probably were tied to Joe Biden previously are very, very nervous. I would like those people to meet me at the mic. I know in the past, that a small group of very influential Democratic donors have played an outsized role in our primary. And I know that it is tempting for this group to try to steer the ship because right now they don't have a place to go to play an outsized role in the Democratic primary. But friends, it's changed. The The world has changed. And you don't play such a prominent role for a lot of reasons. Because of the power of the progressive left and the, and the, the Bernie supporters who are never, ever, never going to give you money or, go, or move over to a moderate Democrats campaign because of the changing media because of the changing of um, small donors that even not not just Bernie donors, just any small donors. And I just this this desperate grip on how things used to be and this desire to to pull in somebody who will, you know, just occupy the field and, and make it how it used to be where, you know, we have these bundlers and we have these these big donors and they get to push their agenda and they're they're steering the ship and that's who we need to convince. It's just the time is over, friends. It's just not. You can wish in one hand. It's not going to change anything. Calendar is working against Patrick a bit. In addition to it being just late in the process, a couple of debates underway. He has missed the filing deadlines in Alabama and Arkansas. Those are the two states that Bloomberg has mm-hmm. filed in to keep his options open. He said a little bit more news from the race. Andrew Yang is dropping a million dollars on ads in Iowa and New Hampshire. So don't discount the Yang gang. They are still at it. 
I really appreciate how Senator Harris has kept education as a focus in this race. I love that she's talking about a longer school day. I have questions about those proposals, and I would love to discuss them at length sometime because I think it's really interesting. But we always talk in any election about how education does not get enough play, and she is consistently talking about doing better by our teachers and students, and I really value that in her candidacy. So yesterday was a big day, and we're going to talk about that after the break. We're going to talk about the big impeachment hearing. But Trump also had a big day, a big, a big day on his schedule, because he met with Turkish, Turkish, with Turkey President Erdogan in the Oval Office yesterday. And it was weird. Erdogan brought his iPad and played a video depicting Kurds as terrorists. There were a bunch of Republican senators there who were pushing him on Turkey's problematic behavior in Syria. And then Trump is basically trying to play the role of mediator. It was weird. Turkey is trying to purchase a lot of weapons from Russia right now, and this meeting was supposed to make progress on that as well as the situation in Syria. The reports are not a lot of progress on either one of those things. Trump liked this meeting because he was able to say what a big fan he was of Erdogan. Those are his words, not mine. The senators got to be the bad guys, according to a senior administration official. This is gross. I don't know who thought it was a good idea to have Erdogan, who, again, has imprisoned journalists, has had people disappear under his rule in Turkey, who is starting this massacre of the Kurds in Syria, in the Oval Office against the backdrop of an intelligence committee hearing about potentially impeachable offenses where the president of Ukraine, an ally under attack from Russia right now, is practically begging our president for an Oval Office meeting and still has not gotten one. You know, you have this testimony unfolding about the importance to Volodymyr Zelensky of that opportunity to sit in the Oval Office with the president. What a big message that sends to the world. And while that testimony is going on, we have the president of Turkey sitting in the Oval Office. I just think it was such a mistake on so many levels and so offensive. And this is his second visit. Remember last time when his bodyguards beat up protesters in front of their embassy? I do. I had forgotten about that. And then one of the podcasts I was listening to pointed that out. And I'm like, oh, my God, I forgot about that weirdness. And the New York Times had a really, really great piece of reporting behind Trump's dealings with Turkey's sons-in-law in power. So Turkey's finance minister is Erdogan's son-in-law. And apparently he's made this relationship with Jared Kushner because they're, you know, I think it was easy to say, oh, well, they're trying to build a Trump tower in Turkey. But I think it's more complicated. It's what you see with Saudi Arabia. Why is he having these meetings with dictators, like at the cost of his own agenda and his own impact? Like it's costing you. And it's because Jared Kushner is in his ear for for his own reasons, because he thinks he's going to cure the Middle East, because there's money to be made, because, I don't know, he's friends with his son-in-law and they see themselves as the real power players in this relationship. I don't know. But, like, that's what that's what happens when you don't have experienced advisors and you're just letting your family members run the show. I don't say this often recently, 
but I do appreciate very much that Lindsey Graham was in this room pushing Mm. back hard against Erdogan. According to reports, after Erdogan played that video on his iPad depicting the Kurds as terrorists, Lindsey Graham said something like, you want me to go find one of our former allies to say what you've done to them? Like he was very harsh in the meeting, and I appreciate that he did that. I bet Lindsey Graham has some really, really strong feelings about Jared Kushner. Could I stand to listen to Lindsey Graham for more than 40 minutes or so at a time? I would love to sit down and and talk about that. (laughs) I still have I'm still in um, sore from the piece that The Daily did about Lindsey Graham's friendship with John McCain and how transactional that appears to be, Mm. or at least the way Lindsey Graham describes it today. It just hurts my feelings. I don't have any nuance about that. I apologize. Okay, well, let's turn our attention to the impeachment hearings after a quick break. Just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour? Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, Regency era historical fiction, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week. So in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. If you're looking for a very quick salon quality but not salon-priced manicure, Olive and June has you covered. We've talked about Olive and June's Manny system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box, salon-grade tools, your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are gonna last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. Olive and June also has press-ons if you want. What I love though, is that Olive and June each season is coming out with new colors. And I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick dry polish. And they say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick dry. I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash pantsuit for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. 
Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash pantsuit. We had the first day of public testimony in the impeachment inquiry Wednesday in the House of Representatives. It was a big day. It was a long day. The two featured witnesses were Ambassador Bill Taylor and George Kent from the State Department. We had one sort of revelatory moment where we learned something we had not yet known from the both Ambassador Taylor's opening statement and the release of the transcript of his private testimony, which was that his staff witnessed a phone call between President Trump and EU Ambassador Sondland. President Trump was so loud they could hear him. They heard him talk about investigations. And when Ambassador Sondland hung up, the staff member said, does he really care? about Ukraine? And Ambassador Sondland's response was basically, no, he just cares about investigating and getting at the Bidens. So it's nice to have that that whole state of mind they've been, the Republicans have been so obsessed with out in the open. In addition to the substance of that call, the fact of the call is troubling. Mm-hmm. The Washington Post quotes Larry Pfeiffer, who has been a senior director for the Situation Room and former chief of staff to the CIA director, as saying the security ramifications are insane. Using an open cell phone to communicate with the president of the United States in a country that is so wired with Russian intelligence, you can almost take it to the bank that the Russians were listening in on the call. Yeah, that's what I said. I said I told you, I'm like, that phone call was a revelation to us. I'm sure Vladimir Putin already knew about it. The total and complete disregard for security measures when discussing matters of incredible importance to our national security I mean, I'm I'm laughing because I'm really not sure what else we can do. It's also very weird for an ambassador to just have that mm-hmm. private line yeah. to the president. Ambassador Taylor testified that he has never spoken to President Trump, and he was in a very sensitive situation as well. Well, can I say something really snarky and cynical? He paid a lot of money for that access. I mean, he donated a, he donated a million dollars to the inauguration, and and that's how he got to be an ambassador with absolutely no experience. And so I'm not surprised that the big donor with no experience has the cell phone number and the decades-long foreign civil servant who has, you know, served our country under many administrations did not have that level of access. I don't know that that's cynical and snarky as much as it's just the fact. I mean, no one talks about Gordon Sondland as anything other than a longtime Republican donor who gave a million dollars to the Trump inauguration. Mm -hmm. Well, hold on. They do talk about him as leading our foreign policy, (laughs) the shadow foreign policy with regards to the Ukraine, which they talked about a lot in the testimony, which is also problematic. We will hear from Gordon Sondland next Wednesday. I am very much looking forward to his testimony. The testimony from Ambassador Taylor and Deputy Secretary Kent was hard for me to watch and listen to without thinking about how it was being heard in Moscow. 
also in Paris and Berlin and Warsaw and Riyadh and Beijing. Mm -hmm. That hearing yesterday was a really important demonstration to the world of what America is about right now. And it's just so mind-bendy that we're having this hearing that is really about our own commitment to the rule of law in the context of constantly analyzing and discussing Ukraine's commitment to the rule of law. Yeah. And I mean, I think I don't remember if I read this in there in the reporting on their private testimonies or if they said it in the testimony yesterday. It's all sort of running together. But I think it was George Kent who said, look, the rule of law is based on that the judiciary is making independent decisions, not being pushed into investigations for political purposes. And that's what he was recommending this country to do, this country that we're trying to help rid themselves of political influence at every level, that we're trying to help establish the standard we've set for the world, which is that there are foreign policy decisions that are not driven by partisan political interest. And just the complete disregard for that, the argument that, oh, we do it all the time. What's the big deal? No, we don't. I think some of the best questioning was when people, I think one of the the counsel for the Democrats asked this at one point, and I think another representative asked it at this point, which is, have you ever seen a president do this before in your decades of experience? Have you ever seen a president push their personal political interest in direct conflict to the foreign policy of the United States? And the answer was, no, I have not seen that. I also liked it, and I don't remember who asked George Kent this, who basically was like, hey, George Kent, you're an expert in the rule of law. So if we're really concerned with corruption in Ukraine, what would we do to help establish this rule of law and rid ourselves of this corruption we're so concerned with? Would would this be where we would start, would be investigating Joe Biden? And George Kent was like, mm, nah, with his amazingly expressive face that he had the whole time. We should tell you, if you weren't able to watch the hearing, that both Ambassador Taylor and Deputy Secretary Kent were phenomenal Mm -hmm. witnesses, straightforward in command of the facts at a very high level of detail, unflappable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When they were treated poorly, I thought, by Devin Nunes, just for example, and Jim Jordan as the second example, I thought both. (laughs) Just picking names at random. (laughs) I thought both Nunes and Jordan treated these witnesses in a way that was disgraceful, Mm -hmm. given how the witnesses Mm -hmm. conducted themselves, but they did not bat an eye about it. They consistently said, you know, we are here to be fact witnesses. Mm -hmm. We are Mm -hmm. not here to advocate for any particular outcome. At one point, George Kent looked right at Jim Jordan, I think, and said, my job is to be a fact witness. Your constitutional responsibility is to decide what to do after hearing my testimony. Beautiful. And then he took a drink from his Nalgene bottle. And he probably raised one eyebrow just a little bit. Listen, we like George Kent. If you're not picking up on what we're laying down here, we both have a lot of affection for George Kent. I mean, the man referred to maps. He compared us <laughs> a landmass in Ukraine to a U.S. state. That's when he How could I not part? I was like, in my next life, I'm marrying George Kent, who's fantastic. <laughs> it really was. They were so good. They were just very focused and very good in the face of confusing questioning, questioning that like statements that ran into questions that ran into statements being like, um, was there a question there, friend? That sounded like an observation you want me to agree with. And I'm not going to do that. 
and very fair about the facts that are favorable to the Trump administration. Mm -hmm. They were very honest about how this administration has done a lot for Ukraine and they appreciate it and they want that to continue coming. You know, they appreciate this administration sent in defensive weapons. They were they were honest and open about the problematic issues with Burisma Holdings Mm -hmm. and why that investigation was important. You know, it's not that there's nothing there. It's just that it's not the story the president and Rudy Giuliani want the world to believe. But they but they explained why America has an interest in businesses behaving in corrupt ways in Ukraine in a way that was a really good lesson for everyone. It was a good history lesson. It was a good geography lesson. And it was a good understanding of why our dollars spent overseas are are well deployed. Mm -hmm. We should say that the structure of this hearing was very different than what we've experienced with Mueller, with Cohen, with Lewandowski, which was instead of this staccato five minutes, five minutes, five minutes, and you're having to track the narrative that each side is pushing. This was opening statements from Adam Schiff and Devin Nunes. Then we had opening statements from Ambassador Taylor and George Kent. And then both the majority and minority parties had counsel at the diocese who got 45 minutes to question the witnesses. And I thought that was such a better approach. It was easier to follow. It was um, more clear. It just, it was, I'm so glad they changed the structure. And I thought it was really um, helpful to um, piece apart, really, what are we getting at? I thought they got some really good answers from both witnesses, and you could really see, like, wh- what are we talking about here? Although, I honestly, I thought their opening statements were so, so good and long. Let's be honest, they were pretty long opening statements, laying out that history and that geography and the importance of um, standing by Ukraine and, and all of that was really great. If you watch the first hour and a half of the hearing, you've got it. Yeah. You, you know what the facts are. You don't need to spend time with the rest of it. But but it is very much worth watching that first hour and a half. I also think that having counsel engage in that questioning versus the members just made it overall more professional. Even Steve Castor's question, Steve Castor works for Jim Jordan. He represented the minority on the committee in the questioning. It was much more professional mm-hmm. than when it turned over to the members who were trying to get a clear that would be played Mm -hmm. on their news station of choice. I had some criticism even for some of the Democratic members in their questioning. I did not like that Representative Castro, for example, kept trying to get them to say that Zelensky was desperate. He used the word desperate like 15 times. I'm not sure that that's the number. It's what it seemed like to me driving in my car listening to it. And I thought, do you think that President Zelensky is not watching this? Yeah. Bill Taylor is going to get on an airplane and go back to Ukraine in his post at our embassy and can, needs to have a relationship mm-hmm. here. These guys are, they they work in in positions that are all about subtlety and about signaling and what a particular moment right, might represent across the world. We should not be discussing President Zelensky, who we've been trying to build up as this reformer, who we've been trying to give leverage to as he negotiates with Russia, as desperate. Mm-hmm. I just thought that was in such bad taste. Well, you and also there's some mental gymnastics there. Isn't it so bad that President Trump exploited President Zelensky, because he's in such a delicate position that we really don't want to point out to Russia and the rest of the world. Now, can you point out in explicit detail the delicate position Zelensky is in to us and to the rest of the world? Like, come on, dude, like we that's some that's some mental gymnastics you're doing there that you should 
promptly stop. He also kept trying to get them to say um, whether attempted bribery was a crime. It's just they're not there to make the judgment call, y'all. They're there just to tell you what they saw and heard. And it's not a good approach to try to get them to make these these conclusions about the facts. It was the same when the when Castro, the counsel for um, the Republicans, kept trying to get them to basically say all these things about Hunter Biden. I, we know y'all want Hunter Biden to testify, but he's not um, as of now. So stop trying to get George Kent to be a stand-in for Hunter Biden. It's weird. Cut it. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered shower head purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code PANTSUIT at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. 
Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. It's also distracting, and it just shows how hard it is to make any of this super partisan. Mm -hmm. Up until the point when Jim Jordan started laying into the witnesses, the hearing really had not been about President Trump as much as it had been about what's important in Ukraine, why all this matters, and how the administration's decision-making was unfolding. Mm -hmm. And you would think that Republicans would be pleased with that because there's some complexity about it. It doesn't make the president the center of the narrative. And so the direction that Jim Jordan took the questioning in then was, this is all really about one person who neither of you have ever met. Neither of you have ever met President Trump. It's about this one phone call that neither of you were on, right? And And it brought the president back. So it's like it's not about him, but it is about him. There is no coherent defense here, I think in part because the facts just won't allow it, Mm -hmm. but also because this was a really consequential discussion about America's foreign policy. The whole point is the president can't use America's foreign policy for his own benefit because it matters too much to too many people. Well, and they opened up the line of attack of, yeah, we would love the people who were there firsthand, but the White House won't let them testify. So please don't act as if we have not asked these people to come and tell us what they witnessed firsthand. Also, I think the the emphasis on sort of you weren't there, you didn't know, is it? it's just distracting. It's just trying to, like you say, take this sort of bigger discussion and... It's shrink it down to a straw man they can knock over. I mean, I feel like that's what they were trying to do. And it ignores the reality of working in diplomacy where Mm -hmm. this conversation was relayed to me by so-and-so is the way stuff happens. That is the way it gets done. It is important. It It is the business of diplomacy. I mean, I thought part of the problem for Steve Castor, the Republican lawyer, as he was asking questions was that he asked questions that made it sound like he didn't understand the process at all. At one point, he was like, how do you explain that you weren't on this phone call? And George Kent leans forward and was like, we would never be on that phone call. That's the National Security Council. That's something different than what we are. Blessings. I wish he'd said that. I wish he'd been like, blessings. (laughs) (laughs) Bless your heart. His face said that, I think, a lot of times if he did not explicitly say that. Well, so this was a lot. This was several hours, and we're not done. We still have a Marie Yovanovitch, who is testifying as this episode comes out on Friday. We have another week. Now, they're off for Thanksgiving, but I don't think they're going to be through the witnesses by the time they take off for Thanksgiving. There are quite a few witnesses lined up. I would like to make a couple of suggestions, if I might. The first suggestion, it would be really helpful to keep these hearings to about three hours. Mm. If you really want Americans to watch, yeah, and Americans should be watching They need to condense these things, and they absolutely can, especially when you have professional counsel involved. You can get through what needs to be said in a limited window of time. The rest of it is just noise. I also would just like to humbly ask that they engage some lawyers that are not white men. Mm. It really troubled me to not see any diversity in the first two hours of these hearings. Now, Sarah pointed out, lawyers did a good job. There are literally thousands of lawyers who could do a good job in that setting, though. And just some contrast and some interaction and feeling like this is about 
for me, it was almost like we really care about diversity until it gets serious. And then we're going to bring in, you know, what we've known and done forever. And I just would like to see some different voices in these hearings as they go forward. Some better representation. Mm. They could bring Val Deming up in the lineup. She does always does a really good job. And she's, she's always a at the former end because she's officer. a freshman. Yeah. Well, so those are our, our our main takeaways from the hearings. There will be many, many more. I mean, we're like saying like, yeah, we're going to get to election reform. I think we should probably be a little honest with Just ourselves. Just hold that loosely, everybody. <laughs> hold election reform loosely. <laughs> we will be back even if it's not with election reform on Tuesday. Until then, have a great weekend and keep it nuanced, y'all. Dylan Garvin produces Pantsuit Politics every week. Thanks for making us sound better, Dylan. Elise Knapp is our managing director, which means we could not make it without her scheduling, organization, feedback, and creativity. Thank you, Elise. We couldn't make Pantsuit Politics without support from our listeners. Go to patreon.com slash pantsuitpolitics to learn how you can receive more nuance and help us make the show. Special thanks to our executive producers who have committed to supporting us in a major life-giving way. Our executive producers are Tracy Putoff, Tim Miller, David McWilliams, Joshua Allen, Linda Rucker, Martha Bernatsky, Melanie Cravey, and Tiffany Hassler. Our theme music is composed and performed by Dante Lima. The music under our ads is composed and performed by Dylan Garvin. Learn more about our lives, live events that we're involved in, and what we're reading each week by signing up for our weekly newsletter at pantsuitpoliticsshow.com. And connect with members of the Pantsuit Politics community by following us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.